You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Uh, take your Bible, if you would, and look with me at John chapter 4. Or open your app, or it'll be on the screen. You guys uh, know the routine. And I want to share with you this morning, Jesus, as he, the Lord Jesus, as he walked on this earth, talked to so many people, and he ministered and engaged so many different kinds of people, from Roman soldiers to the, the fishermen to the, to the religious elite. He, he talked to the, 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 remember the woman caught in adultery and to those who were in prostitution. He, he just he ministered to everybody. And, and this morning we're going to see that he has a, a conversation with a woman uh, the Bible says is from Samaria, which has a whole lot of connotations to it that I'll explain to you. And we really get a play-by-play picture of what God is trying to work with in her heart. And so this morning, there's so many different things that we can and should get out of this. Some of you this morning need to kind of put yourselves in the shoes of the woman that he's talking to, that, that God is trying to speak into your world, and you've sensed that God is maybe saying some things to you, and some things are becoming clearer spiritually, and you're trying to figure some things out. And that's what God does. He comes to us just as Jesus went to this woman to speak to her because he loved her and wanted to help her to understand some things. For some of you who've, who've walked that journey and have already had that relationship for a while with, with Jesus Christ, you this morning you might look back and God might be refreshing you and encouraging you and you thinking back to how God kind of broke into your world and how He began kind of getting in, in, into your space, if you will, and communicating to you and speaking to you and working uh, in your heart. And so this morning might be an encouragement as you look back and reflect on that. For others, you might be the person, maybe not so much in Jesus' shoes, but you might be thinking about the people that you're trying to reach out to and where they are spiritually and how to talk to them and what God is doing in their heart. And so there's a kind of a lot of different places. You know, the Bible is written, it's not an encyclopedia, it's not a, not a Wikipedia that you just, you know, you turn to and you find all the information. It's just real life, real people, and, and, and it's mixed into all kinds of truths throughout it. And it's written in a way that, that we see God and we meet God in it and God talks to us and we put ourselves in the, the shoes, if you will, of the people and all of that. And so kind of pick a lane this morning as we read this story, whether you're the one thinking about people that you're trying to talk to and reach out to, or maybe you're the one that God is speaking to and you're in that mode or that season of life where God's talking to you. So think about how to reflect on this and read the, read the story with me. It's an amazing story that we get a kind of a play-by-play of, of, of how this unfolds. So in, in the Bible says it starts out, we won't read the entire chapter, um, but Jesus is there and his disciples are baptizing and, and he's leaving. He's leaving where he was and he's heading up north into Galilee. And the Bible says is that he needs to go through Samaria. Now, Samaria, if you were a Samaritan, you, you were looked down upon. You were looked down upon as an, a faithless, unfaithful people. And there was a stigma, almost a racism, but it really wasn't purely like a racist thing as much as it was more of a, these were the people who turned their back on God and people who broke God's commands and intermarried and with, with other peoples and other idol worshipers and all of that. And so the, the hardcore Jews just didn't go there. They avoided it. Kind of like most people upstate don't go to the city. You just, you're like, yeah, I want to go around. I don't want to drive through it. I want to go around it. You know, you, you avoid it. You, you avoid that. It's kind of like that. But Jesus said, no, we need, to, we need to go there. I've got an appointment with somebody that I need to talk to. So look with me in verse 7. The Bible says this. A woman from Samaria came. So Jesus goes. He sits down at a well. And it's, uh, it's about noon. It's hot. Hot. Middle East, hot. He's tired. He's walked a long way. He's sitting by a well. And in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. That was the thing that women did. They came and got the water. Can you imagine? I mean, have you carried five gallons of liquid of anything? I have chlorine I bring out of my basement, and I try to do two of them at a time. It, that's heavy. So these ladies were some seriously strong ladies, but she came to draw water. Jesus said to her in verse 7, Give me a drink. 
For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. They were hungry, they were thirsty, and they had left him, so it's just Jesus. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? And get this, a woman, which is one level, how are you talking to me? You, sh you shouldn't be talking to me. And a woman of Samaria, she was blown away. I can imagine she's walking up to that well. Who's at the well today? What? What is that guy? Oh, it's a Jew. Great. That's what I really needed today. You ever have that? Like, oh, great. This is just not what I wanted to deal with. And Jesus starts talking to her. She thought he was going to ignore her. She thought he was going to kind of stick his nose in the air, you know, and he talks to her and asks for a drink. And she was shocked by that. And the Bible explains that it says, for Jews, in parentheses, have no dealings with the Samaritans because they were too good for them, if you will. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus changed the subject a bit, ratcheted it up a bit. The woman said in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? What are you talking about? What? Women give me living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock thousands of years before. Are you greater than him? He gave us this well, and it's taking care of us. Are you better than him? Jesus said in verse 13 to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Inside of that person is going to be a living water that produces eternal life. Now notice this. Jesus asked an average ordinary question. He turned it spiritually, and now he's got her coming to him. The woman said in verse 15, Sir, I'll take that water is what she's saying. Sir, give me that water. Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Like, that's a good idea. Can I have some of that? Because I don't like coming here and working quite so hard. Look what Jesus says. He says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I, I have no husband. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm not married. I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. I imagine inside of her, she was just like, Oh, my goodness. Kind of that moment when you go to the doctor and you have to take all your clothes off, just like, Oh, Like, I'm out there for the world, you know. I'm sure inside it just messed her up. Because later on when she goes and tells her friends, I've met a guy, he's told me everything I've ever done. She felt just like she was out there. He just spoke right into her world. And what she does is she tries to change the channel, change the subject. The woman said to him, it's subtle, she kind of nudged it. The woman said to him, Sir, I, preserve, I perceive that you are a prophet. You're right. Wow, you've got some skill there. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. The Samaritans, because they weren't true followers of Jesus or of, of God, they had twisted things. God set up His temple in Jerusalem. If you wanted to know God, that He set up His whole place of worship to reveal Himself to the world, to, to love the world. But the deal was the whole world, in order to know Him, to be saved, had to worship Him the way that He said, and that was to, be, to come to Jerusalem to the temple. And the Samaritans... They didn't like that because they were kind of politically enemies and all of that. And so they set up their own place of worship in uh, Mount Gerizim. So there was this kind of thing going on between the Jews and the Samaritans. And she says, hey, you're a, you're a prophet. You guys, the other, you're the other team. You say Jerusalem's it, but we worship here. 
She's trying to just throw a little, little smoke screen. You know, like when you're under attack, kind of like pull the smoke canister, you know, and throw it into the room and just kind of to get a little cover and hide is what she's doing. And she says, yeah, what do you say? Thought he, she would throw a little controversy and get him all excited about that. Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. <laughs> nice way of saying, you don't know what you're talking about. You're kind of clueless. Kind of respectful, but he was very blunt. He said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation's from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. I love the fact that our God in heaven is seeking out people to worship Him, to know Him. It's a church. That's why we care to pray for our friends and family that don't know Jesus and invite them to come play football and invite them to packing parties and have relationships with them because God is searching them out and working in their lives. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She was, she was confused spiritually, but she was right. She was waiting on the Messiah. We'll just wait till he comes and he solves everything. Now, Jesus does with her what he didn't do, hasn't done before, and really doesn't do much since. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, and he. Lady, I am the Messiah that you're looking for, and I'm explaining all of this to you right now. I want us to talk this morning uh, four or five things that Jesus really is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ is what that means. He is the, the chosen one, the one that God the Father sent to this earth to save us from our sins, to redeem us, to buy us back from sin and death and the grave and hell and, and, and to, to be the one that, that through whom that we could know God in heaven. So Jesus goes out of his way. Could have been, he could have gone and ministered to kings and all kinds of dignitaries and spoken in the world, but he goes out of his way to go a people that the Jews literally went out of their way to ignore, to marginalize, to avoid, to ignore, to, to leave alone. And he sits down at a well to have a conversation with her. First thing I want you and I to recognize this morning is that Jesus accepted her as a person. This is really significant for cultural appropriateness of that day. As a man of, of, of Israel, he should have never sat down alone with her one-on-one, -on -one, talking to her as a woman. He broke intentionally kind of a social custom, if you will. She was surprised by that. But he sat there. It wasn't that he was so desperately thirsty that he was about to die, but he just sat there and waited. And she came, and, and he talked to her and engaged her. And then not only that, she was also a woman of Samaria, and she had had many dealings with other Jews before. And he just treated her as a normal, average person. Uh, breaking all the cues of that day. Didn't worry about what other people would think or about like, oh my goodness, here Jesus is talking to this woman. And he knew full well she'd been married five times and was living a guy with a guy right now that was not her husband. He wasn't worried about his reputation that people are going to be talking, oh my goodness, did you see Jesus? I wonder what they're doing when nobody's looking. He wasn't too worried about his reputation, wasn't too worried about any of that. He, he saw her for who she was, a woman made in the image of God that was valuable to God. And that was the first step that he took into her world. See, for those of you who were praying for family members, for friends, or other people, you know, it matters not what, what's going on in a person's world, in their heart, what sin issues you see or don't see. Jesus knew full well the challenges in her life, top to bottom, and He demonstrated that so clearly. As a son of God, He just knew stuff. I can imagine how unnerving it would, was for the people around Jesus at times for things that He would say. And just, you know, out there. 
but he accepted her and saw her for who she was. So as a church, folks, we have to really make sure that it matters not what a person has done or any of the things in their world, that we need to recognize and accept people for where they are. Sean, are you saying that we need to accept them in their sin or craziness? No, I'm not talking about that, but I mean just acknowledge them and, and give them the respect that they deserve because they're a human being made in the image of God. She as a woman was broken in so many ways. I was talking with someone not too long ago. Um, I don't remember who or where, but it's just coming back to my mind now. You know, I've done a, a number of weddings as a pastor. I wouldn't say a ton, but I've done quite a few. And I've had lots of conversation with lots of people. I've, I've never yet met anybody when they got married and then fast forward however many months or years later on when they got divorced, who that was really what they were wanting and hoping would happen when they got married. Maybe there's a few crazy people that got married, you know, in Las Vegas or whatever is no big deal. But everybody that I know that walks through that process, even if there's some good that comes out of it and all of the challenges in that, they look back and they, they wish that's not where they were. So see this woman, five times she'd been married and now living with, with a man for companionship and, and all of that and, and all of the brokenness and all of the hurt and all of the things and the challenges in her life, just the, the pain and, and can only imagine the, 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 the difficulties that she's gone through. And Jesus just simply saw her as a person and respected her and worked past whatever things that he saw whatever things that he knew about. You and I need to do the exact same thing. When you're at work with people, they may have different values than you, different beliefs than you, different perspectives than you. They may look differently than you. They may be struggling with some pretty heavy things, sexuality issues, all kinds of stuff that are flying around us today. And at the end of the day, no matter where they are, you and I have to look at them and relate to them and accept them as a human being made in the image of God that God cares about and that they're in front of you and God wants to use you in their life in a profound way. Second thing I want you to recognize. Oh, by the way, before that, if you're the person that God is talking to, it matters not what your past is, matters not what's in your world. The God of heaven is seeking and reaching down to you to come to speak into your heart and into your world. The second thing I want you to notice is not only did Jesus accept her as a person, but He, he engaged her in spiritual things. He, he engaged her spiritually. He says to her, Hey, if you really knew who I was, you don't recognize me, but I would give you living water. I would give you water that would produce life. He used a metaphor and used a picture of that which would provide for you. And I know when we can go so many days without eating, I'm told for a healthy human being, you can fast kind of 40 days. It's kind of like it. After that, your body really does break down. I can't fathom that. I, I did fast once for three days, and I'll say after three, and ate nothing in that time. And after three days, I wasn't hungry. Like the first day or two was killer. By the third day, it actually took me a day to kind of jumpstart my engine. It was kind of like the fire had just gone out and just I wasn't hungry. Um, I really didn't want to go 40 days, to be honest with you. But anyway, long story short, but water, you can't go without. It is so needed for life. And Jesus said, this living water that keeps us alive physically, I would give you a spiritual water is what he's talking about. She should have picked up on that. She's stuck in this physical world. She's like, hey, that's a good idea. I'll have some of that water that I drink once and, you know, that holy grail that I can kind of suck down and never have any problem ever again. And she should have known that Jesus wasn't talking about physical water because if he had the water that you never got thirsty, why was he asking her for a drink? <laughs> you know, she kind of logically should have figured that out. I suspect later on that she kind of chewed on these things like, oh, he's talking about something else. He wanted her to think. He wanted her to go as she was walking into town to kind of process that conversation and think on these things. But he said to her, lady, this is water that if I give to you, it will well up. It will spring up inside of you and lead to 
produce eternal life. He's talking about a spiritual life that he was trying to give to her. Jesus wanted to give to her that eternal life. There's nothing so encouraging to me as to know that God wants to give our friends and our family and our co-workers and our neighbors and our acquaintances, people that are, to give them eternal life, the people that are hurting, that are struggling, that are deep in sin, that are messed up, that are asking questions and uh, all across. And we see Jesus as he lived this world wanting to give that, to offer that freely. That is such a, a blessing and an incredible thing to know that God wants to use you and He wants to use me and puts us in contact with people to give them though, that life, that, that living water. In John chapter 7, the Bible tells us that that living water that's springing into eternal life, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. What God wants to do is to save us from our sin when we receive Jesus as Lord of our life and we are born again. That he, The Bible says is that He declares us to be righteous. He justifies us. And, that, that, and as a part of that, that He gives us the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and who, who makes us alive who gives us that life. Listen to what the Bible says in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter, it won't be on the screen, but Titus 3, 4 says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. What God does is He saves us from our sin. It's His doing, His goodness, and not by works, works that are righteous, works that are good, does He do that. Doesn't, that's not what He does. It's not our praying. It's not our being good people. It's not our going to church or any of the things that we do that are all good, that are righteous things. That's not what saves us. It's not our baptism. That's not what brings forgiveness of sin. It's it's God that does. He goes on and says this. He says, He saved us, not by works of righteousness done by us, or works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. It's not what we do. It's according to His mercy. And here's how it comes to us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, the picture here of the Holy Spirit it's God the Holy Spirit coming to a person's life, into their heart, and washing away their sin on the inside and making them alive. That regeneration means to, it means to make alive. It means to take that which is dead. It would be as if we had lost an arm and, and God just regenerates it, makes it alive. It takes that which is dead, that which is gone, and brings it to life. When you cut down all the trees in a forest, the new trees that come up from the seedlings are called regeneration. It's the forest coming back to life after death. You see, God the Holy Spirit, when He saves us, we are dead spiritually, and it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that makes us alive. And the physical picture that we can know is that God just splashes the Holy Spirit inside of us and renews us and, and regenerates us on the, on the inside. That's practically what happens. That's what Jesus is telling this lady. Lady, you're spiritually dead, and I want to give you something, the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't understand who He is. You don't get this yet, but I'm, I'm giving you a little taste of what this should be. And there's something inside of you that will produce life inside of you. And Titus goes on, he explains more, but he says, talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, being declared righteous by His love, not by anything that we do, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That God declares us righteous forgives us of our sin when we receive Jesus as Lord of our life. And practically, the Holy Spirit comes in and makes us alive and anew. And it's to the degree that just it's like living water just springing up inside of us spiritually. Have you ever been just so famished and so thirsty? You've worked beyond you know, what you should have, and you just come in and you feel like you could chug a gallon of water. And you, you don't want, I don't know about you, but I don't want all the other stuff. I just, I just want water. I'm just, my body craves that. 
And that's the picture is that you and Allah and I, when we receive Jesus, is just the Holy Spirit just refreshes and makes us alive spiritually. Jesus talked to her about spiritual things. Some of you, when you feel like God is talking to you, you've, you've known spiritual truths and you've known and, and as you've tried to understand those things, but God is stirring something up inside of your heart. Jesus is coming trying to stir things up inside of this woman. And what God is trying to do is to spiritually help you take some steps forward, just like He is with this woman. That means for those of you who are thinking about your friends and your family, it's good that you're in relationship with them or you work with them. But somewhere along the way, God wants you to turn the conversation to spiritual things. God wants you to have something there. You don't have to give them everything. Don't back the dump truck up and just dump everything on them. That wouldn't feel good if that was you, right? Not at all. We're, we are not salesmen, all right? So hang with me on this one. But learn from the car salesman. When the car salesman comes up to you, they don't give you a 10-page fact sheet of how great this car is and all these things. They talk and they hear and they become a little friendly with you and, you know, and they ask a little bit of what you're looking for and little drips. So engage and talk to people. That's what Jesus did, but he just a simple conversation about spiritual things to begin to see where she really was. You see, you and I don't realize this. We forget this. But everybody is a spiritual being. Everybody at some level is interested in spiritual things. To say they're not would be like you and I saying that people are not interested in their physical bodies. I mean, somewhere along the line, your body's going to tell you you need to eat. Your body's going to tell you you're thirsty. Your body's going to tell you you're hurting. Most of us ignore our bodies, like when you ride mechanical bulls and you really shouldn't when you're 52 years old. That's what happens when the teen there, you're going to do it right. You know, like, oh, don't you? Anyway. <laughs> We're emotional beings. Some of us don't pay attention to our emotions, but you can't do that forever. They're going to pop up. We're relational, social beings. Some of you need a little more introvert, need a little more space, don't need as many friends as others, but you still need that. We're spiritual beings. You and I cannot ignore that component in our lives. All of your friends, all your families, everybody, they may not be interested in religious things, but I promise you, they at some level are interested along the way in their life about spiritual things. And that what your job and my job is to learn from what Jesus did is just to engage them, a little, little thing, to see where they are. And if you engage your family and friends and they, were, and they are not at all interested in talking to you about spiritual things, then you tried. And at that point, you pray for them and you leave it alone. You don't just keep coming and just hitting all the time, but you probe and see what's there. Maybe even come back around weeks later or a year later or whatever, but you engage spiritually. You, you and I just loving them and being nice people isn't going to help them to know Jesus. We have to talk to them about spiritual things. Third thing, once they're engaged and interested spiritually, we gotta, we've got to address, we've got to talk about sin issues. She said, hey, I want that. And Jesus said, all right, since you want that, let's take the next step. Go, in verse 16, call your husband and come here. In fishing terms, what Jesus did is he threw the bait in the water. How many of you have ever gone fishing? Okay, so that's a good picture. You know what that's like. So you throw the bait in the water. You twitch it a little bit, or it's a little worm, and it does its own little twitching thing, and you sit there, and little fishies come up and nibble. She nibbled, and then finally she said, I want it. I like that water. I want it. And what Jesus did was is he just set the hook. You know, the fish grabs the bait, and you have to kind of give it a little jerk, and that kind of goes, and it sets the hook inside the fish's mouth. Jesus said, okay, go get your husband and bring him here. His setting the hook was dealing with her sin issues. He wasn't rude. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't 
judgmental. He didn't look down his nose at her. He wasn't offensive. But he was pretty blunt about it. He said, go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. She had learned how to duck and hide from that stigma and all of those things in, in her, her life. You see, there, there's times, by the way, just getting divorced is not sin. Even in, in church culture, we have more of a stigma of divorce in our culture and the world around us. And uh, many of you have experienced that, and being divorced is, is not, not automatically a sin. The Bible talks about there's times when that is appropriate. And uh, we could talk about that another time, another place, but it's really not really the point here um, this morning. And he's, he says to her, you're right, you don't have a husband. And she was just kind of putting up a little bit of a wall, kind of ducking. And Jesus called her out and said, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband right now, currently. You've had five. And the guy that you're with now, in other words, living with as a husband, you're not married to. You're committing adultery, fornication, whatever the word is you want to call it. And he dealt with her sin. I've learned over the years in talking with people that when God is really speaking into a person's life, somewhere along the way, God puts his finger on the sin in that person's life. Jesus could have put, picked on a number of things, could have pointed out a number of things in her life, but that's the one he put his finger on. And I've learned to let God do that. Sometimes you and I will see a sin in a person's life, and that's a big glaring thing, but I've watched God put his finger on another area. And it doesn't matter. Like There's it's a target-rich environment in, in a person's heart with all of the things that you and I have done wrong and think and attitudes and heart. But somewhere along the way, God reaches down and He deals with that sin. For those of you that you feel like God's been speaking to you and you're interested in figuring out, the lesson for you is, is don't resist God putting His finger on sin in your heart. Don't resist it. Let Him do it because He means it in love. Jesus was not judging her. This was not a judgment moment. Judgment for Jesus comes later. That, that's much later when he returns. What Jesus, the Lord Jesus is doing now is trying to bring people to him. And so he pointed out the problem so that she would take steps forward and trust him for her sin solution. Think about it this way. When I take my car to the mechanic I, and it's making noise or the check engine light comes on, I don't like to find out that my catalytic converter is shot because that's like a $1,500, $2,000. if the cars that I drive, I'm on that pro process of like, wow, is this car even worth it now? You know, but then if I don't fix it, can I even get rid of the thing and sell? Like who wants it? And just one of those deals, right? I don't like that news. When your catalytic converter goes, I feel bad for you, but it doesn't bother me nearly as much. I'll just be honest. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it does. You know, I don't want to see you go through any pain either, but I sleep better at night when it's your catalytic converter than mine. I mean, it's just reality. So think with me. When it's somebody else's problem, it doesn't bother us. When it's our problem, but it's something we own, it bothers us a little bit more. But then when I go to the doctor and find out I've got cancer, ooh, that's another level. Or maybe I'm not doing so well and somebody says, you should go to the doctor. And some of you are like, this. I'm not going to no doctor. I don't need to go. And really what's going on is our pride and we don't want to have to deal with you know that inside. And we start denying more. We deny our car a little bit. You know, some of you guys, your wife's like, hey, it's making a fire. You're like, oh, I don't hear it. I don't hear it. Really, what we're saying is, I just don't want to deal with that right now. I don't have time. And it starts getting to our bodies. We get a little more defensive. I love the lights flickering. I told you, Christine, is going to be one of those weird days. So, a lot of weird stuff's going on behind the scenes. So, truly, Christians just pray that God will allow us to work through all of this. But as we get to our bodies, it bothers us more. 
Then we get to the kind of the next layer inside of us, which is our relationships, and maybe even some of our own emotions and stuff. We get a little more protective, and we get a little more, oh no, and we get a little more deflective, and there's nothing wrong with me, and kind of the walls go up. And then when we take the next layer into our soul, which is where God ultimately is trying to get, no, you really are messed up on the inside. You have not believed right. You've sinned. We don't like to hear that as people. And we really back up hard. And what God is doing in our life, this is not somebody else's problem. This is not our car. This is not our body. This is not even on the inside of us, our relationships. We don't, we don't like to go to get counseling for relationships. We don't like it. Ladies, some of you, you know, like, husband, we need to get this. But men, you especially, we don't like to do that. It's just not who we are. And then when God puts his finger, what he's really got to do to save us from our sin, he's got to go even deeper than that, down into our core of our soul to address where we're messed up inside. And we don't want to deal with it. And we'll deflect it and we'll put it off and we'll hide in all of it. And Jesus just says, I'm going to deal with it. And God does it because He loves us, not because He's trying to condemn us. We're already condemned, what the Bible said in John 3 is. Like, we're already goners. We just don't know it. We're already judged. What Jesus is trying to do, if you're in that spot where God's been talking to you and you're kind of trying to figure things out spiritually and you're becoming aware of your sin and you're... Don't hide it. Don't cover over it. Don't make... Don't ignore. What God's trying to do is to help you come to that point to where you see in full color. He's trying to put the chart like a doctor on the screen. Look, this is really bad. You've got to address this. But what Jesus tells us is, is, is you can't address it on your own, but I can. I am the good physician. I will heal you if you're willing to trust me. And he's trying to draw us out and to bring us to him. So if God is addressing your sin, folks, Always, always let him do that. For those of you that are thinking about your friends and family around, you need to realize somewhere along the way you can have spiritual conversations, pray that God would put his finger on sin in their life, and be aware that God probably is in places you don't know about. And maybe along the way you, need to, you will need to talk to them generically about sin. Don't be surprised if they trust you that God's going to put His finger on some specific sins and be aware and alert to that, but God has to do that. You can't be saved without that. There's no other way around it. Because until you and I are sinners, we really don't surrender our life to Christ and trust Him as our Savior. You don't need a Savior unless you're a sinner. And so God will always deal with that, but it's out of love. So that's kind of the next step. Maybe you've engaged somebody spiritually and they're hungry along the way, but in that process you got to talk about sin issues and, and work with that and, and help them know through your life what God has done in your heart with sin. Tell them the sins you've wrestled with, that God has helped you and, and forgiven you, and help them to see that what God is really up to and what He's trying to do. Then the fourth thing, and I've got to move along for time's sake, is that after He deals with that, he, Jesus also um, talks about our confusion. He deals with that. She tries to change and hide that because he was getting close. He was probing down deep inside of her. It's like going to the doctor and he put his finger on something. It hurt and she pulled back or the dentist, ow! And she tried to change it. He's like, whoa, that hurts. How did you get into there? And she tries to change the whole conversation. And Jesus, and she talks about this whole worshiping in mountains and different places and dealing physically. It's obvious she was so spiritually confused. But Jesus began helping her to realize, to untangle that confusion. He said, lady, it doesn't matter ultimately whether you worship there, you worship here, you can worship anywhere. Kind of like the old Dr. Seuss. I know he's politically incorrect today, whatever. Green eggs and ham. I like them. You know, Sam I am. I'll eat them on a plane, on a train. How many of you know the book I'm talking about? Some of you are like, what in God's creation is Sean talking about? So Jesus told her, like, lady, it doesn't, you can worship God here, there, anywhere. All, that, that, that is not what this is about. God is a spirit, which means he is not into physical things. It's not what building you're sitting in. It's not the clothes that you wear. 
It's not the way you look. It's not the certain things that you do and all the rules. It's not any of that. It's the Holy Spirit that God wants you in your life, but you to worship Him in your spirit, in your soul, and in according to truth. Lady, you're focused on physical stuff. You're not even on the playing field. And you're holding to stuff that's not true. You see, some of you, as you're trying to understand what God's speaking in your heart, you've got confusion. And some of it's things that people have taught you and past churches have told you and things you've heard, other people that you've even respected that have told you that just are incorrect and not true. How many of you have ever gotten a bad diagnosis from a doctor before? How many of you gotten bad advice from a mechanic before? We've got, we get bad advice all the time. It's a part of life. Should we not expect that we are going to bump into some bad spiritual advice along the way? We are, even when we mean well. We don't like it because who likes to know that they've either been deceived or believed something that wasn't true or just maybe somebody sincerely believed but told you that it was wrong? But Jesus began untangling the confusion in her mind and said, look, this is about what's true and what you have believed is not true. Up to this point in your life, you believe stuff that's not true. So God is going to untangle that stuff. So don't let it destabilize you and unnerve you when God is trying to help straighten out and explain things that you don't that you don't get, that you don't understand, things that are messed up in your mind. Jesus is patient, and He will help you, but don't fight Him in that. Let Him untangle some of that stuff, and let Him straighten out that confusion inside of you. For those of you that are trying to help others, know that people are processing a lot of stuff, and it takes time. And be there to be available and help them. Sometimes people need to untangle things emotionally. Sometimes people have had some really bad things that have happened to them, and they're deeply wrestling through, well, if God's really a loving God, why did He let this, me go through this in life? That's a tough one. But the Lord Jesus will untangle that. Well, if, if what you're saying is true and it's what the Bible says, then why did my church teach all of these things? It takes a while for those things to get untangled, but God... If you will trust Him and trust the Lord Jesus, He will begin to untangle that in your life. And our job is to help people to get it untangled. And then the fifth and final thing that I want you to notice, what Jesus tells her, she says, well, I guess you and I can't figure it out, so I'm just going to wait on the Messiah. And Jesus just plainly said, I'm Him. I am He. I'm the guy. In verse 26, what the Lord Jesus does is finally present to us Himself as the Savior. You see, as you talk to your friend and your family, they probably don't know they need Jesus. And sometimes we lead off by saying, hey, you need Jesus. And they're really saying to you, why? It's like asking somebody when it's 90 degrees out, hey, don't you need a coat? And they're looking at you like, why would I want a coat? I'm not cold. It's hot out. Hey, you need Jesus. You should do this. You should really should take and trust Him. Why? I'm okay. My life's good. You see, it wasn't until God began stirring something, Jesus began stirring up a spiritual interest in her heart, dealt with her sin to realize that, began untangling some stuff. Then He said, I'm the solution to that. And then He presents Himself as the Savior. and says, I'm the one that can take that off of you. See, everybody has sin issues in their heart. Everybody deals with the guilt and the shame of stuff. And everybody is a spiritual soul, and God works in their life in that. But God, in the process of helping awaken hearts to sin, pulls those things out, and then He brings to bear what Jesus is all about, salvation. When Jesus said, I am the Messiah, He was saying more than what she got in that moment. He was saying, I'm the chosen one. I'm going to lead you out of this. I'm going to lead all of Israel out. I'm the deliverer. I'm the Savior. But what we know, and we get the benefit of the rest of the story, what Jesus is also saying is, I'm going to come and die on the cross for your sins. 
And I want to rise again on the third day because in all of the Old Testament, the Bible is predicting that the, the Messiah would come and He would die and pay for their, your sins and my sins and the sin of the world. And it's that redemption, that blood that He shed for us. That's what. That's the reason why God can be merciful to us that I read in Titus 3. And He can reach down and He can de declare us to be righteous and justify us. And He can then send the Holy Spirit into our life and make us alive and anew and wash us on the inside and forgive all of our sins and wash all of that away. And Jesus says, I am that Messiah. So some of you this morning, you're at that point of confusion and untangling. And God's trying and He's working to untangle some of that stuff. You need to realize the next step for you is for you just to simply and plainly see Jesus is your Savior. It's not your past background. It's not your church experience. It's not anything your parents did, anything that happened in your life earlier. That only Jesus is the one who saves you. And your response to Jesus as the Messiah is to say, Yes, Lord. I trust you as my Messiah, my Savior, my Lord. I surrender my life to you. Remember last week I used the illustration about God writes us a check. I had to write a check yesterday. I don't think I've written a check in over a year, and I wrote in cursive. Can you write checks printing? That's okay, probably, right? I don't know, but old school, I'm like, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, how do you write in cursive? Oh my goodness. It's like I had to sit and try to think about that and, and, and write that. What God has done is when Jesus died on the cross, in essence, is He wrote a check, put your name on it. It was made out to you. And in the blood of His Son, He writes in instead of a dollar amount, He simply writes, forgiven. And He offers it to you. And you can walk around with a check in your pocket with that offer, but until you endorse it, until at that point you have not actually received it and accepted it so that it becomes your own. Just like when you get a check and you put it in the bank, you have to sign it. That's you saying, this is mine, and I'm going to take the benefits of what this other person paid to my account. That's the same thing for you and for me. Jesus paid for it. He offers it. And He gives us that check. It's what He's telling us right now, in essence, is we're all carrying around that check in our pocket. But until we surrender our life and receive Jesus as Lord of our life, until that point, we've not received it. And He might be other people's Savior, but He's not our Savior. His blood might be sufficient to pay for other people's sins, but it's not paying for our sins. We're not taking the benefit of that into our account. For, so for those of you that God has been speaking to and untangling some stuff, what He's trying to get you to the point is, is saying, you just simply need to trust my Son and receive Him to be your Savior and your Lord. It's that simple. It's that reality in your step. And when you and I take that step, the Holy Spirit comes and makes us alive and He changes our life. And there is forever a change in our lives. And then we do all of the religious, spiritual stuff, the obedient stuff, because the Lord is inside of us. That's what Jesus is trying to do. And for you and for me that are trying to help other people, we have to present Jesus to them along the way. Is it? He's the one that forgives will forgive them, and they must commit to Him. And until they do that, they're still condemned and separated from a God in heaven. So folks, I don't know what God has been kind of talking to you about this morning. Some of you here need to take that next step. Maybe you need to just stop fighting that sin and allow God to convict you and say, okay, God, I get it. Now what do I need to do? and allow the God of heaven to then untangle stuff and allow the Lord Jesus to become your Lord and to simply bow your knee and to say to Him, I want you to forgive me. I know I've messed up. I trust Jesus 
That might be the next step for some of you this morning. For others of you who've already taken that commitment, been walking with the Lord Jesus, maybe you need to write down the five or six or ten names that we've periodically done and go back and maybe write where people are. Maybe the next, for each of those people, maybe the next step for you is to engage them in a spiritual conversation. Maybe you've done that and you need to, some of you, maybe you are doing it and you need to leave it alone and you just need to pray for them. For some of you, maybe it's just, you need to have that spiritual conversation with them in a way you never have before. And it can be all kinds of just simple little things, but God will tell you, he'll help you because he's seeking them and ask him to show you how to engage them. Maybe you've been having some of those conversations with people, maybe a little hesitant too, but you probably are at the point that you need to talk about sin. They've heard and talked, and you've talked about all kinds of things, but you've got to talk about sin. So maybe that's the next point in that conversation with them. Or maybe they've talked about sin, and really all that needs to happen is you just really need to talk a little bit more closely about Jesus as a Savior. But whatever God has been speaking in your heart about you for you, or about how God wants to use you for others, this morning, commit that to Him. Would you do that? An incredible picture of what God has been doing 2,000 years ago and what He continues to do today. For most of you in this room, you and I were this woman at one point in time. And the Lord Jesus, through other people and other circumstances, came into your world and had this conversation with you in your heart. You might not have known it was Him at the time, but looking back now, you know that was Him. And I'm so glad to know that God, when God does that in our lives, that means He wants to do it in the life of other people around us. Because He never does it just for one. He does it for one so He can do it for more. Because the gospel and the good news of Jesus is always viral. It's always meant for more. So for some of you, you're the only follower of Christ in your family. Be encouraged this morning that God wants to use you. And it's a process, just as He is with this woman, to work in their lives. So pray for them and think about where they should be. Whatever God has spoken to you this morning, our worship team is going to come up. Just respond to God. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's a commitment, thanksgiving. Maybe it's an openness in your heart. God, I'm willing to listen to you. I'm willing to accept your conviction of sin. Help me. But whatever he's done, won't you stand? I'm going to close this in prayer, then we're going to sing our last song. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus that he died for us and saves us. Thank you, Father, for an incredible conversation that he had with this woman in such tenderness but firmness and so quickly just helped her to begin to process and deal with some realities, to untangle some confusing things. To, he accepted her where she was. Lord, the world saw her in such stigma. When she went and told those people that he, this guy told me everything I've ever done, they knew what she had done. And she had borne just that, uh, that reputation. But Father, Jesus accepted him. And Lord, I'm grateful that you accept people around us. You don't accept sin, but you accept people for who they are. People who matter, who are made in your image, no matter how broken, no matter how hurt, no matter how sinful and wrong right. And Lord, would you use us in their lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.